as many as you, you know, when I took on this role as presiding priest during this interim period at All Souls, um, I realized there'd be no way I alone could keep up with the preaching schedule on just the 10 to 15 hours per week this position called for. So we've been so blessed to have a number of licensed lay preachers, as well as our other clergy, share from the pulpit week in and, and week out. And I've been blessed to be able to meet with these preachers regularly to, to figure out who's preaching when, and, and more importantly, to see if there might be a theme or an idea that God is asking us to think together about over a particular season. We last met back in February in order to plan out the Lent, Holy Week, and Eastertide preaching schedule. And, and as I, I prayed and reflected on where we were as a parish or where we were as a society, I, I was struck by the potentially uncertain times that lay ahead of us. If you can recall way back in February, we were still just coming off of the Omicron COVID surge. We were facing some national, social, and political issues. We were in the midst of a bishop and rector search, and it seemed to me at, at the time that although we were slowly turning the corner on something like normal life, there was still a lot of uncertainty on the horizon. Little did I know then that there'd be a Russian invasion of Ukraine, that there'd be rising inflation, a renewed debate about abortion in our country, and, and a host of other destabilizing factors on the horizon. But the theme I felt that God was asking us to consider had to do with his presence with us, even amidst and through any and all uncertainty. And it seemed good to us preachers that we were being reminded that through all the twists and turns, the instability, the instability and the uncertainty, God remains with us through it all. And many of our sermons since then have highlighted or related to this theme, and it's one that I think our gospel passage this morning is inviting us to consider again. Our gospel readings here in this Easter season are all drawn from the Gospel of John, but not necessarily in order. So the Sunday after Easter is the traditional Doubting Thomas story from John chapter 20. The following week was John 21, where Jesus appeared to his disciples on the Sea of Tiberias. Last Sunday, we jumped back to John chapter 10, where Jesus reminds us that he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name. And today we find ourselves in John chapter 13, in that section of the fourth gospel known as the Upper Room Discourse. This section from John, ranges from John 13 to 17, when Jesus met with his followers to celebrate the Passover on the night before he was crucified. You might recall thinking about that just a few weeks ago on Maundy Thursday. Now, ironically, regarding our homiletical theme, it's not Jesus' presence with his disciples that's the key backdrop of this discourse. Rather, it's Christ's pending departure, the very removal of his presence that's the underlying feature of all Jesus says in these discourses. We get this indication in, in the very first sentences of John 13, when, when John writes, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so John here gives us readers the indication that, that a turn is occurring here in the narrative. This moment in Jesus' life, uh, this Thursday before the crucifixion, was a turning point, moving from Christ's constant presence with his followers to a departure away from his followers and to the Father. John goes on in verse 3 of chapter 13, saying that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Jesus here is getting ready to leave his followers. It's not presence, but absence that sets the tone here. 
And then in verse 33, which we heard this morning, Jesus makes this announcement to his disciples of his, of his impending, uh, his imminent departure. Jesus says, little children, I'm with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, but just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus says, little children, I'm leaving soon. You can't come with me. And that phrase, little children, or what can be translated as my dear children here in verse 33, I think is striking for a number of reasons. Uh, this phrase is just one word in Greek, technia. It's a diminutive form of the word for child, which can convey smallness, like little children, or, or even a sense of endearment or intimacy, like my dear children. I sort of think of this kind of like the way which I refer to my sons involuntarily when they were younger as, as buddy. It's a term of endearment uh, of sorts that Jesus refers to his disciples. Little children, my dear children. And later on in chapter 14, which if you're kind of watching this scene play out like in The Chosen or something, it's only a couple minutes later, it's clear the disciples are getting rather agitated and distressed and upset about all this talk about Jesus leaving them. So I think here Jesus is, is, is trying to comfort his followers in referring to them as his dear children. Maybe like when my son comes to me and he's distressed and I just say, hey, buddy, little children, my dear children, I'm leaving soon. And furthermore, this little children, my dear children word is a very rare word in the New Testament. This is the only place in the Gospel of John where it occurs. Paul only uses it once in Galatians. And, but interestingly, this word is used seven times in the first letter of John when he's addressing his readers. I think that's kind of interesting. I, I kind of think maybe John picked up this phrase from Jesus when Jesus used it to refer to him, to John, and his fellow disciples. And then when John was writing to his followers, he too referred to them as his dear children. Little children, my dear children, I'm leaving soon. But I also think this word is striking for the manner in which it sets the tone, not only of comforting Jesus' disciples, but for the instructions that are to come in the next sentences. As one commentator puts it, having announced his departure and having insisted that his disciples cannot now come with him, Jesus begins to lay out what he expects of them while he's away. And so when Jesus refers to his followers as his dear children, I think he's, in a sense, calling them to step up and take on that role as being a child of God. Little children, my dear children, I'm leaving soon, and, and here's what I want you to do as my children. And what does he call them to? Verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Little children, dear children, I'm leaving soon. Love each other like I've loved you. We might remember that on this Thursday night before he was crucified, in addition to telling his followers that he was leaving and instructing them to love one another, this was also the night when Jesus gave them this poignant object lesson about how to love each other when he had washed their feet. This was the master, the teacher, stooping down to take the place of a servant to wash his students' feet. As Jesus says in verse 14 in this chapter, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. When you think about it, at least when I think about it, 
all this seems pretty impossible for us to do. What kind of commandment is it to follow Jesus' example of love? I mean, it's one thing to wash some people's feet. It's entirely too extreme to follow Jesus' own example of love that he shows the next day on the cross. How can we possibly really obey the commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us? Well, the rest of the discourse here in the upper room conveys that we can't actually do this on our own. And that we can only obey the commandment to love one another to the fullest if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. We don't get this section here in our lectionary reading today. It comes next week, so it's a little bit of a teaser. But John 14 gives a lot of this rich teaching about the Holy Spirit, about how when Jesus departs, he will send the Holy Spirit to his followers about how this spirit will lead his followers into all truth, about how the spirit will be of great comfort to Jesus' followers, and about how the spirit will be a great helper who will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, as Jesus says. Little children, my dear children, I'm leaving soon. Love each other like I've loved you, and the Holy Spirit will help you. It might be especially apt for us to think about the spirit today as we're rather like sandwiched between a weekend of an ordination and confirmations last week and Pentecost in a couple of weeks. If you were here last weekend, uh, you might have noticed that our liturgical color was red for both the ordination and the confirmation. Red's the color we use primarily for feasts associated with the Holy Spirit. And in a couple of weeks here, we'll use red to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles as, as tongues of fire. But in both the ordination and the confirmation, our, our bishop called down the Holy Spirit to empower the ordinand and the confirmands for service in the church, service that involves loving as Christ loved, following the example of Christ. Now, what does all this talk about Jesus leaving and us following his example like his kids have to do with his presence? Well, it seems to me that what Jesus is saying here is that as he goes away and as he sends the Holy Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be the presence of Jesus for one another when we love each other. Where is Christ if he's departed and gone to the Father? He's in and with each of us when we love one another in the power of the Spirit. As our colic this week reminds us, we ask God that we may steadfastly follow Christ's steps. We follow Christ's steps. We follow Christ's example. When we love and care for one another through any turmoil or uncertainty or destabilization that we may face, either individually or, or corporately as a community. And I don't want to puff all souls up. The last thing we need to do is get prideful. But I kind of feel like I've seen a bit of this love of one another and care for each other and support of one another recently. I feel like I've seen and experienced the presence of Jesus here in our midst through our love for each other. Again, last weekend, it was very moving for me to see an example of this during our confirmation service. It was moving for me not only because I saw my son confirmed, but, and not only because we had a large group of youth and adults who were being confirmed, but it was moving for me to see the presenters and the sponsors and the mentors and, and, and all those from our community who are standing behind the confirmants, supporting one another in love to take this step in their Christian lives. You know, when we face times of uncertainty or instability, we want someone to have our backs. And in the confirmation, mentors and sponsors were like literally having the backs of the confirmants, being the loving presence of Christ for them. 
And so we're to be God's presence to one another when we love one another, as this is us steadfastly following his steps. We show ourselves to be Christ's little children when the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow his example, his example of self-sacrificial love, of serving love, of supportive love. And this will lead us through whatever uncertainty or instability we may face. Little children, my dear children, I'm leaving soon. Love each other like I've loved you. And the Holy Spirit will help you to steadfastly follow my steps. Amen.